Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. I just say that I, uh, I'm so thankful for this place. I love this place to come in here on Sunday mornings and uh, be with this community, just having a moment to separate from everything going on in the world and just worshiping God is such a blessing for me. I hope it is for you guys. Um, we are continuing on in our Hebrew series, week number two, chapter number two. If you want to uh, turn in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at verses one through four. Before we dive into it, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we come here to worship you. We come here to focus on you, to learn about you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir in our hearts and our minds and bring your word to life as we study it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, on this, like, fall and summer, I would probably choose fall, okay? But summer is a second, is, is a close favorite, right? I, I really enjoy the summer. It is very hot right now, which is, like, takes off a couple merits. But, like, one of the fun things about summer is it's, like, water everywhere. I love to go swimming. I love the pool. I do love the beach. Not as much as the mountains, but I do love the beach. I love the ocean. And the summer is kind of the time where you take trips to go see the ocean, spend time there. You know, anybody anybody have plans to go to the ocean or have been to the ocean this year or sometime in the recent past year, right? Like the, the ocean is, is an incredible place. Like you can go out there, you can swim and play, you can ride the waves, you can relax. It's fun, but it's also therapeutic. This is the awesome thing about the ocean and it, it, so the ocean's this really cool thing um, but it can also be a little bit terrifying and uh, daunting one time a few years ago Lauren and I were very hesitant but coerced by her brother into riding jet skis out on the ocean right now I've ridden jet skis on the Great Lakes and it was a lot of fun and I got a Air, me being a large guy, got, these were big waves on the Great Lakes. And so I was like, oh, I can do this. Of course, that was high school. This is not. So we, we uh, decide we're going to go. We let, Lauren is terrified. She doesn't really want to, but she lets her brother talk her into it. And so we get out there. There's a storm coming in. But they say, you know, and so it's like the rough waters, but we have a guide. And if you've ridden jet skis before, they're like, you can go. They put Lauren and I on the same jet ski, which was probably a mistake because this thing was, 
let's just say it was riding low, okay? And we're riding low in these waves, and we're going, and I would try to go full throttle because I know, like, if you're full throttle, you get up on top of the water, and it's a lot better ride. But that was also really scary. And so oftentimes Lauren would squeeze me and say, slow down. So I'd slow down. And and so we were kind of falling behind, right? So the guide and the other people who are riding with us, they turn around, they kind of wait for us, and we get up to them. And so now we're stopped, not moving at all, just kind of gathering ourselves. And I mean, these waves, they're huge, right? And so we're just sitting there, not really paying attention to how things are going. We're kind of getting ready to go back. and They want to take us out to these boats and see dolphins. And sure enough, a wave comes. Lauren and I both lean with it, flip over, bam, both of us in the water. Okay, we can barely see land. It's too deep for either. Like it, I mean, this is a horrible situation. You have to pull yourself up onto the jet ski with nothing to, like, stand on. Okay, they have this little handle on the seat. And so I'm able, look, I've got some upper body strength, but I also have a lot of body. Okay, so this was really difficult, okay? <laughs> and I'm able to pull myself up onto the jet ski, and I'm exhausted, all right? And then Lauren's got to get up. So I'm trying to help her pull herself up, and we get, she's like, got a leg on, and we're about halfway there. Bam, it happens again. We flip over, we're both in the water. Lauren's brother does this vlogging stuff, and he has a GoPro. He has it all on camera, okay? So embarrassing. Eventually, they have to get Lauren on the uh, on the guide's jet ski. He takes us to this little, instead of going to the dolphins, we go to like this in-stream area where there's like marshland. So we can park the jet ski. She gets on mine, and we go through that. I was sore for a week. I I was really like the whole time I'm just flexing the whole time I'm riding on this thing. I'm talking from my toes to my head. I was sore. This was difficult and terrifying and it will never happen again. All right. So the ocean is just, it's this beautiful thing where you can go and you can ride the waves. I've got so many fond memories of going and playing and loving the ocean, but this is also this terrifying, daunting, exhausting experience, right? The ocean has this great power to it. If you uh, have looked at the, the news at all in the past couple of weeks, you saw this, this heat wave thing that came through and created these incredible currents in the, in the Gulf. And there are people in Panama City, there, I think there was like 60 water rescues and eight people who died in the, in the past week because of how powerful the currents are in the ocean. And that's, that's a crazy contrast, right? Fun, exciting, relaxing, therapeutic, terrifying, and dangerous. And that's the ocean. And I want that image to be in your mind as we dive into this text, because I think it's, it's extremely helpful in navigating what the author is getting at in this text, and also learning how we can navigate, navigate life with intentionality, all right? Because that's what life requires. I am 33 years old, and I'm at that weird age where, like, I'm self-aware and I can reflect on my past, but I can also look at my future and I can like know where I could be in life and where I'm not in life. And it appears that a lot of people my age are in that same boat because you have conversation with peers and friends and uh, see people on social media. And I really understand the midlife crisis, right? Because there's this point in life where you've kind of gone through the motions of life. You've done what you're supposed to. You go to school or you get a job, you have a family. You've kind of just done life. And then you look up one day and you're like, how did I get here? How did I become this person? How did I get to this state? How did I have, like, where did all of this life come from? Because we have this tendency to navigate through life without intentionality and look up and not even recognize who we are or how we got there. And that's what the author is getting at today. 
If you have your Bibles, I want to start with uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We ended there last week. We're going to start there this week because we didn't really get a chance to unpack it. It says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Some of your texts may say that we have to pay more attention, closer attention. We have to be most, pay most careful attention. And then it has this word, therefore. So therefore, I don't know if that's the right text or not. There it is. Therefore, therefore it means that we have to go back to chapter one. So if you weren't here last week, good news is you can go to revivechurchga.com and it's up on the website or you can go to the Apple podcast if you have an iPhone or something like that and you can listen to it because this therefore is saying this all has to go with what was taught in the last chapter. So last week we looked at an entire chapter. This week we're looking at four verses. Maybe it'll be a little bit shorter, probably not. Okay, so there's, there's this sense of therefore. The whole first chapter does not have a command in it. The first chapter is all about Jesus Jesus being superior to angels, Jesus being the final word, Jesus is everything that you could ever ask for or imagine. He's better than anything you could find here in this world. Jesus is everything. There's no command. It's all about elevating our eyes to a risen Savior, Jesus. Jesus is God's final word. In the Old Testament, you had the law and it was delivered through angels, but now you have Jesus. So chapter one is the the law. Chapter two is Jesus. There is no chapter three. That is God's final word. His final message is Jesus, the risen King. Now, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. It means that everything that the Holy Spirit says is about Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, connecting to Jesus. It reveals Jesus. It is always concerning Jesus. Jesus is the final word. Therefore, we need to pay closer attention. We need to be intentional with Jesus so that we do not drift away. Pay closer attention lest you drift. I want to look at those two things. I want to start with the second part. I want to start with this drifting, right? We've been, we, we, we talk, we opened up about looking at the ocean. I want to go back there. The ocean is this, it's this big, vast body of water, and it almost looks like it could be stagnant. But if you've ever been out in the water, you know that it's not. You know that it has these currents that pull you. I can remember uh, being old enough to kind of venture out on my own, right? So my parents weren't negligent, okay? But I was out and I was in the water and I had made some friends. I, I would, when we'd go to the beach, I'd find somebody my age and like become friends with them, okay? And so I'm out in the water and we're playing and we're hanging out. And then I look up and when I look up, I realize that I no longer see the hotel that we're staying in. Right? I see houses and rows of houses. I don't recognize any of the umbrellas and tents and things on the beach. And I'm like, oh no. I mean, we hadn't been playing five, 10 minutes, right? And so I'm, I, and I don't know where I'm at. Now, I wasn't far from where I was supposed to be. In fact, I was, my parents could see me the whole time when I got there. They laughed at me. Okay. So I, but I look up and I begin to panic. I'm like, I don't know where I'm at. How did I get here? What's going on? I'm old enough to know that the current is there and it's real, but the waters are calm and I'm not paying attention. So I like make a beeline 
for the beach. And now I'm on the, I'm in the sand and I'm like, I've got to figure out, I don't, I'm lost. Where am I at? And so I start, I, I can see my uh, high rise where we're staying. So I just start walking there. And I mean, it's like a two minute walk. Okay. I wasn't far at all. I just didn't recognize where I was at. And as I approached, the parents were like, were you lost? Like, okay, I was lost. Leave me alone. Right. But there's this, the, the ocean has this current, even on calm days that if you don't pay attention, it will pull you away from where you think you're at and you won't even realize it. Now, every time I go out in the water, even if I'm like shin deep, I like pick a target on the beach, an umbrella or a tent or something. And so that every two or three minutes, I'm looking up, right? You look up and you make your way back to where you originally were. So as the water's pulling you, you have to keep fighting that current because that's what happens in the ocean. It's even on the calm days, it has this current that pulls you away from where you were at. As you swim, relax, ride the waves, you have to keep looking up and checking back because the current is pulling you from where you're supposed to be. You can't go by idly, not paying attention, or slowly and unnoticeably, you'll be pulled by the current. That is the image that Hebrews is portraying here. This is the first warning passage in the book of Hebrews, which has several of them, and they get more serious as you go along. But this author is saying, if you do not pay attention you will be pulled from where you're supposed to be. Life is not a stationary body of water. It's not a pool or a pond. It's always flowing more like a river or the current in the ocean. You are not being still. You are always moving. You are either in pursuit of Christ or you are going with the natural flow away from him. And here's the seriousness of Hebrews. And this is a very sobering thought. This word away is what it says it is. It is a way from Christ. All of the way is there. This is not, this isn't like, oh, you've backslid a little bit. That's the word we kind of have heard in Christian circles. This is loss of salvation. This is eternity in hell. This is a forfeit of the promise that we have received. Now, there are plenty of Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians that believe that you can't lose your salvation, right? They, the, the phrase is, once saved, always saved. And there are plenty of them that are holier and smarter than me, and they're going to be at a better spot in heaven than me, okay? But I disagree with them. But the reason I bring that up is because when they look at this text, and they look at the, Hebrews te- the, the, the Greek text in Hebrews, and they unpack it, they all come to the same conclusion, This is being a way from Christ. Where they have debates and where they argue is the the genuineness of the faith of the the hearers of this letter. They say, yes, they're following Jesus, but they're not fully committed to him. Their faith isn't as real or as deep. They've kind of got one foot in, one foot out. And what they... So what they're saying, what their pushback to Hebrews is not that they get away from Jesus. Their pushback is that they were never really there. Now, I have lots of questions. I disagree with that. I think that we can't, okay? But, but the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is to point to the fact that even those who don't think you can lose your salvation, they unpack this text as saying, when you drift, you drift away from, from Christ. This is a very serious accusation. This is a very serious claim that the writer is making, that you can be pulled away from Christ. Now this isn't this isn't like a oh you got caught now you're going to lose your salvation. God doesn't have this tally saying, okay, you've sinned this much, you've done this bad, you got one more time. Oh, 
Sally sinned again, she's out, right? That's not how this works. This isn't a, a something gotcha moment. This is a slow drift. It happens almost without even, even noticing it. This isn't one of those things where like you're at work, you've had a long week, you're tired, somebody says something that ticks you off and you just lose it. You lose it, you yell at them, you, you uh, barrage them, you take, you, you are mean to them, you degrade them, you belittle them, then you get in your car because you're mad and you drive off angry and you're erratic and you get in a, a car accident and you die. You never got a chance to repent. You don't end up in hell. If you are a follower of Jesus and you sin in that moment, I'm telling you that that sin doesn't rip you from the hand of God. This isn't a all of a sudden I got you moment. This drift is a warning that you have slowly turned your allegiance away from God into other things. It is a slow fade. The Christian life is about following Jesus, surrendering to him, having allegiance to him. And what happens is slowly but surely, things begin to take his place. It's a slow fade. Maybe it starts with something good like family or a new child or a relationship, a career, a hobby, something that is good and worthwhile, and you begin to pursue that. But then in that pursuit of that, you begin to neglect the things of Christ. You say, oh, you know what? I can skip corporate worship a few times this month, or it's not a big deal, or I don't need to commit to being a part of discipleship. I can pray later. Oh, you know what? I need to catch up on some sleep. I'll get some rest and I'll, I'll do my Bible reading tomorrow morning when I can focus more on Jesus or, or I'll catch up on my Bible plan this weekend when I have some free time. And what we do is we slowly make excuses and decisions to put Jesus on the back burner. He doesn't become our utmost priority. And you know what? It's true. You might need to take a, you might need to, to have some free time. You might need to get some rest and focus on Jesus in the morning. But what happens is we have one excuse and then another and another. And before we know it, we place the pursuit of Christ lower and lower on our priority list. And it becomes harder and harder to get back on track. Before you know it, you look up five years later and you don't even recognize your faith anymore. Or maybe it's been 10 or 15 years and, and you wonder if you even believe at all. As a pastor, this is a very sobering thought for me. I can look back, I spent several years in youth ministry, and thanks to social media and things nowadays, I can keep up with the students that were under my care. And there's a few of them that have gone deeper in their faith. A couple of them are actually in ministry, and it makes me really happy and my heart proud and excited. But there's many of them who were so devout at that time, serving, not just coming to youth, but serving at youth, go into the conventions, go into camps, praying with other students, bringing friends, all the fruit and evidence of being believers. But then they get, they, they kind of graduate out of youth group, right? And they go on to, to where life is pulling them, whether it's a career or school. Many of them have families. And now you can look online and see that there's no evidence of faith in their life at all. No evidence that they go to church, no evidence that they pray. In fact, there's evidence that they have abandoned their faith altogether. They look at what the world says about being a Christian, and they, they have a tendency to, to, to echo that versus what Scripture says about being a Christian. And it, it breaks your heart because you're like, I don't, how did that happen? I don't have doubt that they were not a true believer, but life happens, and if we are intentional about pursuing Christ, the current of culture will pull us away from him. 
If it's not being a pastor, it's being a millennial in the South. I have friends that I have conversations with that I grew up with who, when I growing up, it was culturally accepted, like you, you were supposed to be a Christian. If somebody said, do you believe in Jesus? You said yes, right? But over, as I've grown up, that has shifted in our culture. Now it's not the cool thing to say you follow Jesus. It's a cool thing to say that you're an atheist or you're spiritual or you're not, people, it, it's not about being a Christian anymore. In fact, if you say, yes, I follow Jesus, a lot of times that, that will give you the judgment. It's the complete opposite of what it was growing up. And had friends who, who were in youth group who said, yeah, we follow Christ. But as the culture has shifted, so have they. And they begin to express views that are clearly opposed to scripture, but are very supported by the culture around them. The hip term has been deconstruction. But if I'm honest, what I see is a faith that was left to drift and has now been ripped to shreds by the current. So when you look at your life, where do you find yourself? Have you begun to drift? Has this pull of the cultural current pulled you away from Christ? Or is your faith steadfast and focused on him? It says to pay closer attention. So this drift, this threat is there, but it's there if you don't heed the warning. The warning says that doesn't have to be that way. We can avoid that drift if we pay closer attention. If we fight the current, if we fight against that drift, our faith goes deeper. I have a friend that loves to go fishing. They love to fish out in the ocean. They actually have this like fancy small fishing boat. They'll take it out. They'll do deep sea fishing. And they, they actually go to Panama City probably three or four times a year. They love to go out to Panama City. They stay in different places. It's like their second home. And they go out, he even talked about this past week with all the currents and stuff, that they've been out in Panama City in the aftermath of hurricanes or before hurricanes coming in, and there'll be two or three days where they can't go out in the water, but he's always been able to at least take the boat out one day, at least one day. But with the currents that are going out there right now, they actually were unable to take the boat out at all. The whole week they were there, they couldn't go out because the currents were so strong. So we're kind of talking about how they navigate that. Does the current, even though it's in the water, does it still affect the boat? He was like, yeah, even on the most calm days, those currents will pull those boats. And that when they're coming into the kind of the Bay Area where they kind of come in and they park their boats to the arena and all that stuff, that even in that moment, that they have to, you have to keep a hand on the wheel and a hand on the throttle at all times. Now you may slow down and speed up depending on what's around you and how, what the water's doing, but you never completely let off the throttle and you never let go of the wheel. You never coast because when you coast, the water will take you. The current will pull you. It could pull you into a rocky crash on the shoreline, or it could pull you out into the vast emptiness of the ocean with no sign of land and no sign of rescue. You don't really know what could happen, but the current is always there. Even on the most calm days, you have to be persistent and fighting that current. It's the only way to get back into shore. It's the only way to get to where you want to go is by fighting the current. If we are going to stay the course, we must pay closer attention. We cannot take our hand off the wheel. We cannot take our hand off the throttle. We can't just be happy where we are and hope to stay there. We must press on going deeper and deeper into relationship with Jesus. 
N.T. Wright, when he uh, is talking about Hebrews, he says it like this. Hebrews insist not that Christians must stick with what they've got rather than abandoning it, but also they must pay closer attention. They must go deeper into that truth and life, which is theirs because they belong to the Messiah. The contrast of the Christian faith, the contrast that Hebrews is making is it's not about staying where you are or, or going deeper. The contrast is about going deeper or going away. You don't stay where you're at. You either choose to pursue Christ and go deeper with him or you get pulled slowly, unnoticeably away from him. Now this, is the, if you keep reading it, into verse three, two and three, it says to focus on your great, on your great salvation. Okay. This is not fear-based. I want to kind of start when you start with this drifting away, it can be like, Oh, I'm scared. But the, the goal of this is not focus on Christ. You're going to be pulled away into hell. The focus of this is your great salvation. It's a focus on Jesus. The way we fight the current isn't about being afraid of what happens if we don't. The way we fight the current is being focused on Jesus. This, this way that we pay closer attention, it requires work. It's not easy, but it happens when we fix our eyes on him. The, the text is saying, listen to the final word of Jesus from chapter one. Listen to Jesus. Don't drift away. Don't, don't, don't have the radio up so loud. Don't have the TV on so long. Don't read the novel so consistently. Don't scroll through Instagram so frequently. Don't play the video game so often. Don't hit the golf course so regularly that you don't have time to listen to Jesus. Those things are great. You can have hobbies. You can have a career. You should have those things. You should have a family. Have those things, but don't be so persistent and consistent in those things that you neglect Jesus. We have to, we have to work, find ways to, to listen to worship music, to listen to biblical teaching, to listen to the community around you who they can ask you real questions, challenging your faith and causing you to go deeper. It's about listening to Jesus. And it's about following Jesus. We have to make the time to create the place. We have to change the rhythms and fill our life with Christ. We have to be willing to put ourselves in community that challenges us and encourages us to focus on Christ. This is more than believing in Jesus. This is following him. Now, I want to make that distinction. I, heard a, I actually heard a pastor this past week who made that distinction. I thought it was pretty profound. Uh, he didn't go there, but I'm going to go here. Fourth of July, a couple of days. There's this tendency in America, we pledge allegiance to the flag. Look, I'm wearing my red, white, and blue, okay? I'm for being proud to be an American. But the problem is, a lot of times in our culture, we could become so proud to pledge our allegiance to our country, we don't realize that we're supposed to pledge allegiance to Christ. In fact, the word faith in the Greek is a military term. It's got allegiance meaning to it. Following, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. The Bible teaches that even demons believe in Jesus. They know he is real. Being a Christian is not about knowing Jesus is real. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. It's a surrendering to him. It's about having, letting him have our allegiance, submitting to him and declaring him as Lord. 
The Bible is clear. Just believing in him is not enough. It's about following him. The, the way that we fight the current is following Jesus. It's being a part of a biblical community. It's a part of being a part of discipleship. It's reading our Bible. It's praying. It's being in his presence. It's worshiping him through music and studying his word. It's, a, it's all those uh, Christian disciplines. That's how we be in relationship with him. And that's how we go deeper. And that's verse one. <laughs> now three, three through four goes fast. Two through four goes faster. Because what it talks about is, is this, the writer has made this bold claim. Bold claim that if you aren't pursuing Christ, you aren't staying where you're at. You're either pursuing him or you're being pulled away. And now the writer says, let me back that up. Verses two through three says this. <clears throat> For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every, <clears throat> every violation and disobedience received is a just punishment. So he's saying in the Old Testament, you had the law received by angels. If you disobeyed that law, there were consequences and those consequences were just. Now that we have Jesus, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard them. That last little line there is talking about the fact that this is a this the group of Christians who are getting this letter are actually two generations after Jesus. They didn't see Jesus walk. They're so much like us. They received the, his Holy Spirit. They saw his that they heard the testimony of Jesus. They saw his power work, and that's why they believe. And so now he's saying, "We've made this claim. Do not miss the message of Jesus." There's this old. Uh, silly pastor's tale. Okay, this is a silly illustration, so bear with me, but I think it gets the point across. And there's this devout Christian. He loves Jesus. He loves the Lord, but he's been in this climbing accident, okay? And he's found himself stuck on the edge of this cliff, and there's this this sheer drop above him, so he can't climb up, and there's nothing but like raging waters below him, and he can't go down. He's stuck. So he's sitting there stuck on the side of this cliff, praying that God would rescue him. He's praying, God, rescue me, rescue me. And then this big eagle, Lord of the Rings style, flies by and offers, a, offers him a ride on his back. And the guy says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. And he sends the eagle on its way. A few minutes later, he's, he's praying again, God, rescue me. And a helicopter comes by and offers him a, a hand off the cliff to come get in the helicopter and go away. And the man's like, no, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And he sends the helicopter off. And it's not long before a drone comes by. I'm adding the drone, okay. Sends down this ladder, this ladder, a rope ladder, so he can climb up to the top and be safe on the top of the cliff. He says, no, get, get the ladder out of here. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And he's sitting there and he's praying. He said, God, why have you not rescued me? And God's answer, I sent you a bird, a helicopter, and a ladder. Why didn't you use them? Now, it's a silly story, I know. It's a bit cheeky, okay? But, but it gets the point across. So often God answers our prayers, but not in the way we expect it. God frequently acts through what seem like natural or random events, but they're not. If we sit around and we wait for a bolt from the sky to guide us or heal us or save us, we're likely to miss the ordinary means that God will use. Maybe a map that will guide us, a doctor to heal us, or a helicopter to rescue us. This is the point that the Hebrew author is trying to make. God has already sent the law through the angels, 
And now he has sent the, the final answer in his son, Jesus. And he sent him with miracles and testimony of eyewitnesses. He also sent him with the spirit that gave gifts to the people that followed him and guided his followers. Saying this message of Jesus, it's bigger, it's better, it's more powerful, and it's more important. What happens if we miss it? <laughs> One New Testament scholar says it like this, God has already sent the law through the angels and look what happens if we ignore that. Now what will happen if they refuse to listen to something even more important and powerful? God may have to conclude that they aren't really interested in being rescued and being saved from the sin and injustice which rages around them like an angry sea and it begins to, that begins to threaten them. Then he switches from talking about the Hebrews to talking about us. He says, what if it threatens to engulf us from the outside, but which we discover to our horror, the inside as well. This scholar switches from talking to the Hebrews to talking about us because he knows what's true for them is true for us. He wants to drive home the message that we can't miss Jesus. They had, a, they had the temptation to go back to the old ways of doing things. They were, be te- they were tempted to be going back to the temple and making the animal sacrifices. They were being persecuted that were causing them to want to, to maybe leave the faith. And they're being pulled by culture and current events, being cool, pulled away from their faith. And the writer is saying, no, pay attention to Jesus. He is greater than all of those things. Let him pull you back into a deeper relationship with him. And this is the challenge for us today. Far too many people in our world get to this place where they have done life on their own for years and years, refusing to go deep into scripture, refusing to be vulnerable in a Christ-centered community, and refusing to let their views and thoughts be challenged by God. And the result is us standing there on the edge of the cliff, drenched in the aftermath of our own decisions, crying out to God, where are you? As a pastor, people find out that I'm a pastor and I hear these questions all too often. If God is real, why did this happen to me? If God is real, why hasn't he rescued me from this situation? If God is real, where is he? Now, each of those situations have nuances and are addressed in different ways because different things cause those. But I always have this thought. God is saying, and the Hebrews is saying that God is saying, here I am. I'm right here. I've sent you every rescue you need. My son Jesus has paid it all. My son Jesus has shown you how to live. My son Jesus is your salvation, but it's not the salvation we expected, and it's so easy for us to miss it. We didn't know that our salvation was going to be through complete surrender. We didn't know that our salvation was going to change us. We didn't know that our salvation was going to cause us giving up our allegiances in order to follow Christ. So we get to this place where God asks us to follow him and surrender everything. And we don't realize that that's the rescue that God has sent us and we miss it. We send away the eagle. We send away the helicopter. We send away the ladder off into the distance because we say that wasn't the rescue we were expecting. And Jesus is saying, you look around you and you feel lost. You feel alone. You feel like God isn't present, but it's because you've spent years and years and years doing life on your own instead of following me. I have sent my son. Follow him. He is your rescuer. He is your redeemer. He has paid it all on the cross. That is Jesus. Jesus, my final word, that is how you get out of that situation. And the author closes out with this focus on the Holy Spirit. 
saying that God also testified to these things by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What's going on here in verse four is the king is on the move. The king is on the move and he has gone to his people and he has given them the same authority that he walks with. He has given them the power and authority of God. And when they preach this message, he testifies to it. There's this weird thing out there now called Cameo. I don't know if you guys, I think that's what it's called, have seen it or not, where you can like pay a celebrity to send you a personalized message, like video message via some kind of app, right? Like I've seen where like John Smoltz or Tom Glavin, these great Braves pitchers, you know, they have like, say, hey, George, happy birthday, you know, or something like that. Like it hasn't happened to me, but I'm saying I've seen it out there, right? So you can pay these celebrities or these famous people to kind of give you a message. And the truth is, if you have somebody that you look up to, Right, somebody that you think is this awesome person that you value their opinion and they send you a message, it means a lot, right? Now, what if that, that famous person that you think is great, this person that you want to honor or follow, they show up at your front door intentionally to have a conversation with you? Right, it doesn't just move you, it turns your whole world upside down. And that's what's happened in the, the, the story of salvation is the king didn't just send a message like in the Old Testament through the angels. The king got off of his throne and stepped down into humanity and came to our world. This is the king coming to us. And when a king shows up, we listen. Our whole world is turned upside down. We, we're moved by his story. And and. and if you look at older times, the king would show up, the people would have this new energy about them, that they would believe what the king had to say, they would hear his message, and they'd be motivated to, to do whatever the king's message was because it wasn't just a messenger that the king sent, the king himself showed up. So now that's what's happened. The, the Holy Spirit inside us is the king being with us. So when we go out and we tell people about Jesus, we preach the gospel, we live out the gifts that God has given us. This is God himself bearing witness to that message. In the, in the New Testament, we see that when people talked about Jesus, things happened. Signs happened, wonders happened, mighty deeds happened. Oftentimes it was healing, but not just healing, other things happened too. You saw sudden conversions. You saw the transformation of families, of synagogue communities, of villages. And the same happens today. When we talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit gifts us and empowers us, and we see signs, wonders, mighty deeds, sudden conversions. We see the transformation of families. We see the transformation of communities. We see whole cities impacted by the kingdom of God because people aren't just talking about Jesus on their own. They're talking about Jesus, and they're being empowered through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I end with this question. What evidence is there in your own life that the gospel message of Jesus is true and powerful? If you find that question difficult to answer, could it be not that you aren't saved, but could it be that you've begun to drift, ignoring the royal message to which you should be paying closer attention? Where in this journey are you at? Are you going deeper or are you drifting off course? Jesus has to be our focus. Are you paying closer attention to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge this morning that's not always an easy message to hear that we could be pulled away. 
but we know that your love never fails, that you are faithful, that nothing can just rip us from your hands, but that you are there with us. You are steady. You do not move, that we can pursue you and constantly go deeper. You're not a hard target to hit. Your, your yoke is light. Lord, I pray that this, this message would challenge us, that as we leave this place, we'll be burdened to go deeper with you, that you will pull us in a deeper relationship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.